0: You know, a few years down the road in the advertising business, I thought to myself, you know, I love the creative process, but I want to do it underwater <laughs> in the environment that I love more than anything else. And so, you know, I didn't really know how one becomes an underwater explorer, or an underwater creative person. So I just sold everything <laughs> and thought, I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to slowly march towards that, that goal of being creative underwater.
1: I'm Liz Sumner, and this is I Always Wanted To, the podcast where I interview people who are doing things that others long to do. What have you always wanted to try? Hi everyone, and welcome to I Always Wanted To. One of the aspects I find most fascinating as I interview people is the variety of things that attract us. How different are the subjects we want to learn and the environments we want to explore, and how what scares one person makes another one come alive. Jill Heinerth and I both love the water. We'd both jump on a flight to outer space if the opportunity presented itself but Jill has trained to be a world-class underwater explorer and boldly goes where no human has ever ventured. She faces her fear regularly and has taken away a lesson I wholeheartedly agree with, that stepping into the darkness might feel scary, but it's also exciting. If you focus on that and take small, manageable steps, you can come up with some amazing results. One of my favorite parts of my conversation with Jill is how she learned to say no. Once in a while, she finds herself in a situation where her professional judgment tells her this is unsafe. Even though she's close to the prize, her others want her to go on, she knows it's too dangerous and draws the line. For most of us, our decisions aren't quite as much a matter of life and death, but from time to time, we all need to resist social pressure and respect our own personal boundaries. Sometimes saying no is as courageous as diving into the unknown. I encourage you to visit the links in the show notes and see some of Jill's videos. Her descriptions are excellent, but the images take you to a whole new world. Here's the interview. My guest today is Jill Heinerth. A fellow of the International Scuba Diving Hall of Fame, Jill is an underwater cave explorer, best-selling author, photographer, speaker, and filmmaker. She joins us here from her home near Ottawa, Canada. Welcome Jill. Thanks. Nice to be here with you. So, you have many talents. Um, Which came first, the diving or the filmmaking or the science? (laughs)
0: Well, I suppose my entire career is a bit of an accidental combination of many different loves in life. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. I mean, as a child, I always loved the water, but um, in terms of education, I'm formally trained as a graphic designer, and that was my first career in life before Mm
1: -hmm. becoming
0: a full-time underwater explorer.
1: Wow. Okay. So how did you get from graphic design to underwater exploration?
0: As I mentioned, I took, you know, graphic design and fine arts in university, but I was also a scuba diving instructor and that was my hobby, my passion. And, you know, a few years down the road in the advertising business, I thought to myself, you know, I love the creative process, but I want to do it underwater <laughs> in the environment that I love more than anything else. and so you know i didn't really know how one becomes an underwater explorer or an underwater creative person so i just sold everything <laughs> and thought i don't know how i'm going to do it but i'm going to slowly march towards that that goal of being creative
1: underwater wow well i i commend you i love courageous leaps like that so <laughs> so what what were the steps that that you took wow
0: well i i mean first it took a lot to become a scuba diving instructor uh, but certainly after my first scuba dives I I knew that was the environment that I wanted to be in and so I always tell people you know ask yourself where are you happy what space makes you happy and I knew for me working inside in four walls wasn't going to do it so I think that was the greatest realization first was that I couldn't do like what I love to do in the space that I was in. I needed to be outdoors. I needed to be engaged in the environment. And honestly, it was a couple of years of of process to to think about, you know, selling everything and just kind of starting over. But but once you do that and you kind of land in a new place with just a suitcase in hand and no chance but to succeed in your goals,
1: Mm -hmm. um, you can kind Mm -hmm. of force that narrative to to move forward. So you went to become a professional diver? Is that what your path was? So yeah, I was a scuba diving instructor and
0: I sold everything in Canada, packed my bags, and I moved to the Cayman Islands to work at a small resort just so that I would have focused, concentrated time underwater. And it was there that I thought, okay, work on my underwater camera skills, work on my storytelling, pitch some stories to magazines, start to meet the right people who um, might give me a little bit of an introduction into the film and television world. And and today, my career is made up of a lot of different activities. I mean, one could say, well, she's a writer, or she's a photographer, or she's a filmmaker. Um, but all of those happen in this underwater environment.
1: Okay, so what about the caves? Because you can be underwater without going into really dangerous places. Tell Tell me about that. Well, I've always been fascinated by caves.
0: Even as a child, I loved sort of roaming around the Bruce Trail in Ontario, Canada, and walking through these crevasses and little cavern environments. And uh, I suppose, for me, those those tight, dark spaces are almost a, a back-to-the-womb kind of experience. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know it terrifies most people and would make them feel claustrophobic. For, but for me, there's a very interesting feeling that I get from being in these spaces. And when I finally had a chance to dive in an underwater cave, I just went, oh, wow. You know, I don't have to climb. I don't have to use, you know, bolts in a wall to move up a, an environment and fight gravity. I can just inhale and move through this three-dimensional sculptural space. And I knew immediately that this was something I wanted to explore further. And so many, many years of of training ensued, and uh, an exploration along the way to to build this career I have today. Wow.
1: And what what is it that makes underwater cave diving so treacherous? Well, imagine you,
0: Enter the water, which is, you know, scuba diving is dangerous enough on its own because you're reliant on life support to maintain yourself. But now imagine yourself in a place where you cannot swim to the surface if something goes wrong. So I'm literally swimming into an overhead environment and there's no mission control to call for help to say, get me out of here. You're left to your own devices, your own equipment redundancy to deal with any particular failure you might have in your life support equipment. Now add to that some very difficult environmental conditions. There's high flow like a current in the water, there's silt that's easily disturbed by your own swimming movement or even by your bubbles striking the ceiling of the cave. Uh, Certainly, there's opportunities for the geology within the cave to shift. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Divers also get lost in the maze-like passages of these environments. So there's many things that can go wrong, but if you're properly trained with the right equipment and diving within your experience and background, then you probably can, can manage most of what could come your way.
1: And do you do rescues as well? I'm thinking of like the boys in Thailand, the soccer team that, that got trapped. Do you, do you participate in things like that as well as go for the beautiful nature shots and filmmaking?
0: Yeah, I mean, cave diving is still quite a small community, certainly with the very experienced practitioners. And so uh, many of us, including myself, are involved in rescue and recovery operations when something terrible goes wrong. It's a volunteer um, situation, something that we do for Mm. our own community of of, um, friends. Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, I've been called many times to... uh, to participate in recovery operations, there's it's almost never um, a rescue like happened with the boys in Thailand. That was that was amazing. I, I was actually in Greenland when that uh, happened and I was filming for a documentary and I was unable to go um, and drop the job that I was working on, but it was all my friends that were involved in that. That operation, and they did just mm-hmm. the most mm-hmm. incredible um, team effort to uh, to make that a successful rescue.
1: Yeah, that was that was very moving. So mm-hmm. you you dive in all kinds of different uh, water, the cold and warm. Uh, uh, tell tell me about the differences. Yeah. Of- Well, I live in Canada, so a lot of
0: what I do is cold water, Uh, but I've dived inside icebergs in Antarctica, underneath (gasps) the Sahara Desert, in the middle of Siberia, um, inside volcanic lava tubes in the Canary Islands, uh, many different environments, as well as, you know, open ocean environments, lakes, rivers, uh, wherever I can get wet. Uh, Under the Sahara Desert? Yes. Yeah. I led a National Geographic project there many years ago. (laughs) what what's
1: under the Sahara Desert?
0: <laughs> so this all started with my curiosity. I mean, as a child, haven't you ever thought about, well, there's these little pools, these little oases in the desert with palm trees and dates. Mm-hmm. And how, where does this water come from? It only rains there once every 25 years. So uh, so what is this water? So I started digging a little bit deeper, ended up like reading about Alexander the Great, if you can imagine, because he made a journey across the Sahara Desert to consult with an oracle. And that oracle turned out to be a well inside a temple on the Libyan border with Egypt. And I went to that temple, I found the well, and I saw that clear water at the bottom. And Alexander even wrote about Uh, how these oases were connected, and I thought, are these caves? You know, I need to find out.
1: Oh, wow. And so is there a film, or did you write about that? Listeners will want to hear the rest of that story.
0: Uh, So I I did write about it in many different magazines. No film yet. I still think it's an amazing story. Yeah.
1: Do you have a link that we can put in the show notes about that story? Uh, Yeah, I I can find that for you, sure. Yeah. Good. I would love that. And mm-hmm. and I want to make sure that we put links to to your book and to mm-hmm. films because audio doesn't do justice to what you've created. I've I've looked at your website. Yeah, and, sometimes
0: you need the pictures. Oh, yeah, <laughs> definitely.
1: So tell me about your book. Oh, yes. So I have um, two books. I have an
0: adult and a children's book. So um, my memoir is called Into the Planet, My Life as a Cave Diver. And it's uh, you know stories of my expeditions and travels around the world, in- including you know going to Egypt. Uh, but uh, it's really about fear. Mm-hmm. It's about how we face and embrace or run from fear. How it can really define your life moving forward. So uh, it kind of ended up being a bit of a motivational story for these times, as we all sort of face the darkness, the uncertainty of of these COVID times. Uh, you know, I wrote it before (laughs) this all (laughs) happened, but it really did end up resonating with a lot of people uh, in terms of the challenges that we're meeting today.
1: So some of my listeners uh, listen because they want encouragement to try things that they haven't ever tried. So what kinds of things do you say to, to people to get over just the oh no, I'm I'm too old, I can't do that, it's too late, that kind of resistance. Yeah. Well, you know, I think a lot of people
0: face um fear or doubt, you know, when they think, Oh, I wish I had, I wish I could have, you mm-hmm. know, or I'm too mm-hmm. scared to. Um and I say mm-hmm. to them, you know, I think that Fear is what drives society forward in discovery and exploration. So, you know, when you feel that, that you know, Twitter in the bottom of your stomach that, uh, you know, lets you know um, that you're scared, it's actually telling you something's new. <laughs> I mean, think mm-hmm. about, you know, mm-hmm. even just getting on a roller coaster something that's much more benign. You feel that same feeling in your stomach, but you turn that fear into excitement. And we can do that with anything because when we step into the darkness, I mean, for me, it's swimming into mm-hmm. a cave, but when you step into the darkness of anything that's new, whether that's, you know, putting a, a proposal on your boss's desk <laughs> or trying some new activity, um, the fear is telling you that you care about the outcome. Um, and it, it ties you to a desire for positive success. Um, mm-hmm. and if we step into that darkness and let our eyes adjust to the light, um, then we have an opportunity to do something very exciting, something that's new for us, or maybe even new for humanity. Um, And so you just take these small manageable steps towards that. And before you know it, you're doing something that you never imagined and it's really exciting.
1: Yeah. A a former teacher once pointed out something which I uh, remembered, and that's that the physical experience of anxiety is basically the same as excitement. Yeah. So if it sort of depends on what you name it. Yeah, I mean, it's like the word failure. I don't like that word. <laughs> I, I like to call it discovery
0: learning. Because, I mean, Mm -hmm. the light bulb wasn't, um, you know, invented on its first run, right? So was Mm it a failure? No, it was a series of discoveries, progressive learning that that Mm -hmm. finally resulted in something that has changed the life of everyone on this planet.
1: We'll have more from Jill Heinert about fear and the circumstances where she learned to face it after the break. Before we get back to the program, I want to take a short pause to welcome new listeners and followers and thank those of you supporting us at patreon.com/alwayswanted. I'm really glad you're here and I want to get to know you better. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please email me at lizzylizsumner.com or message me on Facebook or Instagram. If you like what you hear, please share it with your friends and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. If you have time for a five-question survey, I'd really appreciate your answers. You'll find it at lizsumner.com slash survey. Let me know when you filled it out, and I'll send you a coupon code for a free copy of my online course, Eight Steps to Launch Your Dream Life. Thank you so much for listening. Here's the rest of the interview.
0: So just forget about failure. I mean, you can think about what's the worst possible outcome of my choice, like what could possibly go wrong? And you can work through those things and say, well, it's worth taking this risk, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, I'm doing it because it's worth it. Um, And then if the result is what you would have previously determined as failure, just say, no, you know, I've just learned something and I could try this again. Or maybe I learned that I don't wanna try this again, (laughs) but you'll never know if you don't try.
1: Yeah, I, I absolutely can see that in many, many things. However, cave diving—I uh, mean, like there, there's some uh, experimenting with cave diving has some consequences that that mm-hmm. just learning to sing doesn't have.
0: <laughs> yes, but we still take small, manageable steps. So training is very important. The right mm-hmm. gear is mm-hmm. very important. Um, continuing to uh, develop and stay current is very important. Those are all small, you know, manageable steps that we can take like if you know for a long time you haven't been able to do your craft then you have to step back into it slowly and Mm -hmm. and so these are all calculated risks so every time we take a risk we think about you know what's the worst that could happen but also how might a problem affects uh, me or my family, my community, whatever. So, you, you know, taking a risk is far beyond yourself. It, it involves others. I mm-hmm. have to think about my husband when I go on a cave dive, like, is this something
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, that's uh, a smart choice <laughs> for both of us? Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, mm-hmm. I know people may look at cave diving and say, oh, well, that's frivolous. That's, that's adrenaline seeking sports. That's adventure. Mm-hmm. You don't need to take mm-hmm. that risk. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I don't take that risk for adrenaline. It's that's not what drives me forward. I take these risks because of, you know, valid collaborations in science with other scientists. I extend their eyes and hands into an environment that they can't get to safely. Um, so there's always a reason for me to go to a place. and, When I go into a cave, it's like going into a museum of natural history, except that nobody's ever documented the assets within that museum. And I'm there to do that for the first time, to set eyes on a place that nobody's ever seen before and bring back that information.
1: Ooh, tell tell me about some experiences of first time being in a in a place that before that no human that you know of has been and times when you were really afraid and overcame your fears. Tell tell me some stories.
0: Well, I've had some exciting opportunities um, working with scientists from, you know, biologists studying the unique life within underwater caves to paleoclimatologists who are interested in the actual geology that informs us about Earth's past climate and the future. I mean, I've found the remains of ancient civilizations that have left behind artifacts and uh, even burials uh, inside caves. Um, So there's so much to see and explore, not to mention that these environments are also places where we test procedures and equipment, devices that are intended for other remote environments like space. Mm. Uh, so it's a huge privilege to go to a place that nobody's ever been before. And in a way, it kind of fulfills my, you know, childish dream to to be an astronaut, mm. except I'm an aquanaut.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's wonderful. And is that mm. the name of your children's book?
0: Yes. My, my kid's book's called The Aquanaut. Yeah. Uh, Any other times
1: when you were particularly frightened?
0: Oh, sure. I mean, I you know would be lying if I didn't say that I've had some close calls in my career. I mean, I was inside an iceberg in Antarctica. I was the first person to ever cave dive inside an iceberg. Nobody had ever done it before. So we didn't have a handbook to tell us what to do or what we might experience. And we ended up experiencing some terrifying conditions. We had um, ice calving and closing the doorway that we'd gone into. We were pinned down by ferocious currents that made it impossible or almost (laughs) impossible to escape the clutches of the iceberg. Um, So I've had situations like that. I've also been inside a very small cave, you know, about the size of the space underneath your bed (laughs) when a scientist panicked and became the cork in the bottle, um, you know, preventing me from being able to get out. And so I needed to solve all the issues we were facing a broken guideline, um, broken life support, a diver that's panicking and stuck, trapped in the underwater cave, and I have to go into that situation knowing that I can deal with all of those issues at once and get us home safely, which is which is what happened that day.
1: Wow, is there anything that you will never do again because that that is just too too far?
0: Yeah, there were lots of expeditions that I say no to, um, and I think that that's the ultimate rule of survivors. I mean, yeah, people might look at me and say, yeah, you're a risk taker, but yes, but I'm also risk averse. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I, I don't have a death wish or anything <laughs> like that. So there are times when projects are pitched to me and I'll say no, either You know maybe this maybe i don't like the safety culture of the group maybe Mm -hmm. i don't feel that there's enough support for us to do something the the way i would think of as doing it properly Mm -hmm. i mean there are geographic spots on the planet that i have big red x's on that i wouldn't go to just because of other risks just getting there you know getting Mm -hmm. kidnapped i just turned down an expedition last week that involved um, having to fly through Yemen. And I'm like, nah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Especially during COVID times, you know, mm-hmm. I don't want to mm-hmm. spend the rest of my life trapped on an island off Yemen <laughs> or, <laughs> or you know, kidnapped in an airport in Yemen. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I have to think about all those sorts of things. I have to think about those, those risks in and out of the water. I have to think about cultural issues. And so, yeah, there are lots of times when I say no, but I also think that it's important To know when to abort something. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I might spend a lot of money to go to the far ends of the earth to do a project that's very, very difficult. Um, And then in the moment, like I I remember being in Lanzarote in the Canary Islands inside a volcanic lava tube. It had taken a lot of money to get there to set up the expedition. And I'm on the water's edge when my rebreather starts acting funny. That's my life support equipment. And I literally turned to my partners and said, "I'm sorry, but I won't be getting in the water today with this." And they're like, "You've got to! We need this footage. We need this. We need that. We need to collect these animals." And I'm like, "Sorry. Um, you know, I'll do my best to fix it. Maybe I'll be able to dive tomorrow. But, um, but no, I have to know when to say no. Or I need to even go on a dive and then be within just arms' reach of what I perceive as success, like reaching out for the treasure chest full of gold and go whoop." Nope, not today. I need to turn around. I only have so much life support gas left. So knowing when to turn around is just as important as knowing when to say no um, and assess those risks constantly.
1: I really acknowledge you for that. That is, that's a hard thing to do. I think particularly for women. Let me do, let me just go a little bit further because you want me to. To be able to to recognize uh-huh. your own safety and and choose in that moment for what you think is right. I that is a hard mm-hmm. thing to do and and congratulations.
0: Well, you know, it wasn't as easy when I was younger, frankly. I mean, I think some of that is the wisdom of of aging. I'm 56 years old right now, but but the same same girl in her 30s was a whole lot more likely to take on an additional risk uh, because of that social hierarchy Mm -hmm. within an organization or an expedition, I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, I'm sure it's clear to most of your listeners that, that I work in a niche within a niche within a niche that are all male dominated. And, Mm -hmm. and so fighting my way through the ranks to be, you know, regarded as a world-class explorer was not easy. And, you know, there are times as a young woman when I did just follow along with the group. uh, And I now recognize that I was taking risks that could have, injured or killed me, or maybe even one of my teammates. And so there was a certain amount of luck to get to me to get to where I am Mm -hmm. today. Um, But there is that wisdom in aging, maybe a greater sense of our own mortality, maybe, (laughs) maybe just a confidence where it's like, you know, No, I don't think so. (laughs) That's something I might not have said in in my 30s. -hmm. But, Mm -hmm. you know, I encourage people to find that wisdom earlier if they Mm -hmm. can. I mean, you'll lead a Mm -hmm. whole lot more rewarding and fulfilling life if you do. And, And I also learned that when I did stand up for myself, sure, some people got in my way, but that was about them, not about me. I did lose some opportunities, Mm -hmm. but those are people I probably didn't want to work with anyway. Um, That was about them. Mm -hmm. It wasn't about me. So yeah, I am the only one responsible for my own safety
1: and choices. That's nice. Do you work with your own team or do you put a team together for, for each project? Who do you generally work with? So I'm um, an independent entrepreneur in a sense.
0: So sometimes I'm creating projects and expeditions that I bring people into, but at other times I get calls from, you know, National Geographic or a television network or the Royal Canadian Geographical Society or even an educational institution because they need my skills um, as a photographer, as a writer, as a cinematographer, as a consultant. Uh, I work for private companies, sometimes testing. Uh, life support equipment, survey equipment, things like that. Mm-hmm. But really, I am an entrepreneur. Uh, and so I do control my own schedule and choices. But, uh, but you know, there are times when I take on long term contracts with with organizations. Uh, so it's, it's a really mixed uh, career. It means I don't know where the next paycheck is necessarily coming from. Mm-hmm. But I have mm-hmm. control over mm-hmm. what I get to do and the choices that I make.
1: How how many projects do you do in a year generally in a non COVID year? Oh yeah, it. I mean, it
0: really varies. I mean, you know, sometimes I'm just writing articles mm-hmm. or uh, that you know may take a few days or a week or or I'm writing a book that takes years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sometimes mm-hmm. a movie project can take three years to wow. shoot uh, documentary footage for, you know, something of a blue planet level uh, mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, project. So, so it, it, it really varies year to year. Sometimes I'm doing more work that's generated solely by me and I, I fill in the gaps in my schedule, creating, you know, assets of my own. And then at other times I'm working for, you know, a Hollywood company on Mm -hmm.
1: for eight months on a movie. (laughs) So quite a bit of variety. Wow. Can you tell us some of the things that you have upcoming? Oh yeah. I mean uh, like everybody else in COVID times, things are shifting constantly.
0: So uh, when COVID hit in, um, you know, March, 2020, everything i had on my calendar disappeared in the course of a few weeks so some of those have come back around to be rescheduled and then disappeared again so I'm doing a lot more work in, in Canada these days. I'm working on a major educational initiative uh, that's supporting three documentary films about the Great Lakes. Uh, I'm working on some uh, diving stories out in Newfoundland, Canada. I still have some things uh, kind of hanging on the books like uh, uh, some work in Micronesia if the country mm-hmm. reopens again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's so there's a lot going on. I still have another book to write for a pen when Random mm-hmm. House so I'm plucking away at that and a new children's book for for Tundra so yeah they'll they'll always be writing in photography for me uh, one way or another.
1: <laughs> Is there any dream place that you've wanted to explore that you haven't yet? Yeah you know I have
0: not been to the Galapagos Islands or Cocos um those are two underwater places I'd like to go um I would like jump on a ticket to space in a heartbeat. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. Uh, But at the same time, I don't really think of those as bucket list things. I mean, every day I kind Mm -hmm. of pinch myself. I, I, I am, you know, very fortunate and rich with experiences, you know, living in Canada. And if I never was able to, you know, leave my own community, there would be a world of exploration for me to do right here.
1: Wow, that's great. So if there's a listener who has experience as a scuba diver and wants to know steps to take it to the next level, what what resources, yeah. what, what would you recommend? Well, when people learn to scuba dive, they get a, a license,
0: um, essentially a certification that they earn, and it's called Open Water Diver. Well, that's just the very first step, but for most people that's all they ever do so there are many continuing education opportunities in diving like advanced diver rescue diver you know those are the first two important steps so that you can kind of move from being only focused on yourself to learning more about the environment to Mm -hmm. expanding your sphere of awareness to include the awareness of of others like in rescue diving um and -hmm. then there's you know the professional track you can take to dive master and instructor um but uh, cave diving is a part of what we call technical diving technical diving really means that you just can't swim to the surface directly you have to be able to stay underwater and solve your problems and so you learn to carry additional tanks or you learn advanced life support systems you learn new environments and and those are you know many many classes it's not a fast process um, years of of training is, uh, is important,
1: not just training, but also experience in new environments. And what about photography underwater? What does one need to know to translate being a good photographer on land mm-hmm. versus being it underwater? Mm-hmm. Well,
0: I, you know what, when I learned, uh, to use a camera as a young woman, of course we were shooting film. <laughs> mm-hmm. And when I first jumped in the water, I had no training in underwater photography and very quickly learned that this is completely different. <laughs> All the things I'd learned about composition, uh, you know, that was applicable, but, uh, the technicalities of shooting underwater is very, very different. Um, there's a class that you can take to just get yourself started in underwater photography, but, uh, but I was completely self-taught. And then of course shifting into the digital realm, that was another, you know, hurdle. <laughs> so, um, the best advice i can give to people two things f8 and be there (laughs) and shoot a lot the only way you're going to become a good underwater photography is to shoot 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 in different environments tough environments places where you think there's nothing to shoot uh you've got to learn to shoot when you can hardly see underwater and uh find you know find the story and um, just keep doing it
1: that's beautiful what would you like to say in conclusion
0: i guess a couple of things uh if you want to learn more about uh what uh what i'm doing then um, check out my website at intotheplanet.com the, i'd like to leave the listeners with um just the encouragement to to go out and explore find something that you've never done before that you've always wanted to do and and it can be something simple it it could be knitting or it could be bungee jumping or it can be i'm going to start a new career or i'm going to go back to school Uh, and look at that goal and start to think about the small steps that you could make in that direction you know what what could you do to get yourself closer to that goal and just keep stepping a little bit further into the darkness to see if it suits you and see if the any risks are, are worth it, because I guarantee the reward, the success, will be very worth it.
1: That's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you so much. That's a wonderful closing remark. My thanks to Jill Heinert. You can find out more about her and her book and her adventures in the show notes. I invite everyone to write and tell me what you've always wanted to try. I'm Liz Sumner reminding you to be bold, and thanks for listening.